Well, good morning, family. Before we uh, come to the and open up the word of the Lord this morning for teaching, let's, would you join me? Let's join together and let's, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have brought us to yourself through Jesus Christ. And you have then committed to us, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, the message of reconciliation. You have given us the privilege of being ambassadors for you. Your representatives here on earth, your mouthpieces to proclaim the good news that there is reconciliation possible with you through Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for that. May we be faithful in our end to share the good news. And we thank you for the blessing and the, and the privilege of partnering with those who are going to places where we cannot go. Such as where Jordan and Elizabeth are. We're thankful for them. What a blessing to share with them, to pray for them, to help support them financially, to encourage them. We're grateful for them being here today so we can catch up a little bit. And we ask that in this time where they are here stateside, that you would refresh them, encourage them, and resupply them to head back. Father, may we be faithful to pray for them. And uh, may you use us to, uh, to help them and that together we might see a great harvest for the gospel in this land. We pray that you would help them as they continue to, to study and to perfect their language skills, that they might communicate well. We pray for them as they develop these relationships they've begun. And may we see some of these folks come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. We pray for the schools that they will reopen uh, and that they might be able there to have more contact and develop more relationships. So, Father, we, we love this couple. We put them in your hands. We ask your protection upon them. We ask that you would enable them to be effective in the witness for Jesus Christ. Father, may we now, as we all come together and we open your word, we ask that you would help us to have attentive ears to listen to your voice, that we would have our spiritual eyes opened and that our spiritual minds would be willing and receptive to what you have for us this morning. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the spirit to, to help teach us and help us understand and to help us change and reshape us into the image of our Lord and Savior. So to that end, we commit ourselves and ask your grace and blessing in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Jeremiah to chapter 45 as we continue this summer in a series of lessons in this wonderful, wonderful book. Jeremiah 45. I think you'll want to have it open in front of you this morning. Thank you, by the way, for allowing me to be gone. It's good to be back with you. Thank you for allowing me to be gone for a couple of weeks. We had a good week of family uh, vacation and then a good week uh, with our youth camp this past week. What a delightful, uh, delightful week. And I'm so appreciative of Pastor Aaron and many folks from here who volunteered and were a part of that. It was just a great week. And uh, so thank you for praying and supporting us in that. Well, I want to share just a moment. I, I'm an avid reader 
Uh, I read a lot, but usually on an elementary level. And uh, <laughs> this is right along my, my lines. Uh, from one of, few, I want to share a couple of pages from one of my favorite kids' books. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. I'll leave you on your own to finish Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You can pick that up somewhere, I'm sure. The reality is, though, most of us can identify with Alexander. We've had days that have been terrible, horrible No good, very bad days. Matter of fact, you may have had a week like that, or a month, or a year, or several years. You've gotten discouraged, been depressed. Sooner or later, all of us end up there, at least for a while. Life can overwhelm us, it can steal our joy, and paralyze us in discouragement and depression. What are we to do? It can happen even in Australia or in Lake St. Louis where the little banners read, it's like being on vacation every day. I've lived here for 40 years. It has never felt like that, which leads to depression. (laughs) Well, here in, in Jeremiah 45, It's a unique passage in the book. It's unique, first of all, because it's the shortest chapter in the book, which may have some of you going, yay, he can't go too long. It's also unique in who it's addressed to. This passage here in this, these six verses, five verses here in, uh, in chapter 45 are written to a man who is very deeply discouraged. And depressed. Just a little background. I know many of us have, in the past weeks, as we've tried to go through this book, we've tried to get a picture of the historical setting because it helps us understand that. And and this chapter unfolds in the year 604 B.C. Jeremiah, you recall, has started his ministry under King Josiah. He's now been ministering as a prophet of God for 23 years. Throughout those years, the message that God has given to Jeremiah, to the people of Israel and to the king uh, on the throne is, is a message of warning. It's warning that if, if the people of Israel or Judah will not turn back to God, not repent of their sin, God is going to send judgment upon the land. And specifically, he's going to use the nation of Babylon to bring this judgment upon the people of Judah. They did not repent, and it was the year before this, 605 B.C., that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians invaded Israel, or Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, and they conquered Jerusalem, 
And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar took captives back to Babylon. Among them were Daniel of the book of Daniel in the Bible. And ones we read about there, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names. They'd prefer their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, I'm sure. But those were among the best and the brightest of, of Judah whom Nebuchadnezzar took back as captives. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered the land, King Jehoiakim, an evil, wicked man, the son of King Josiah, he was king in the land. After they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar left Jehoiakim on the throne, but he left him to rule there under Nebuchadnezzar's authority, under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And the message from God through Jeremiah to the people in the land is somewhat the same, but it's changed a little. They still haven't turned back to God. They still haven't repented of their sins. And God says, Repent of your sins. Turn back to me and submit to being under the thumb of Babylon because this is your punishment from me. You know, kind of like your parents when you get punished, they say, okay, take it. (laughs) You know, endure the grounding, endure the, the, the spanking, endure whatever it is. That was the message. Turn back to me and accept this punishment. If you don't, It's going to get worse. And that's the message now. So, that brings us here to chapter 45 and the word. Verse 1, The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. So there you have Jehoiakim's on the throne. But the story centers around this one man. It centers around Baruch. Baruch is Jeremiah's assistant. He's been his his loyal, faithful helper all through the years, as far as we know, of Jeremiah's ministry. We get a little more background about Baruch and also about this story if we go back a few chapters. And so just thumb back in your in your Bible there, just a few chapters to chapter 36 of the book of Jeremiah. And we'll pick up just reading just a couple of verses there. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. So God tells Jeremiah, I want you to to write down everything that I've told you going back 23 years ago to when you first began your ministry under the godly King Josiah, up until today, everything that I've said to the kings, everything I've said to the people, everything I've said even to the other nations, write it all down in a scroll. And then, notice in the next verse, he gives us the purpose of this writing assignment. It's not just schoolwork, which most of us know much of it is pointless, okay? That's not how God works. God says there's a reason for this. Verse 3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them, so that every one of them, 
may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So the hope is that when the people of Judah see all that, uh, all that God has spoken through Jeremiah collected now all together in one place, and when they see all their sins spelled out as it were in black and white, when they see all of God's warnings about coming judgments, when they hear all of God's calls and they read about all of God's calls to repentance and all of God's offerings of mercy, when they are reminded of God's past mercies, God's past goodnesses to them, God's past blessings, when they understand all of the either disasters or blessings that lie ahead for them depending on their choices now. Because whatever choice they choose is going to lead them one way or the other, disaster or blessing. And when they see and understand how their current situation is a direct fulfillment of past prophecies that God had given to them through Jeremiah. Then just maybe, then just maybe they'll have a change of heart. They'll turn back to God. They'll repent of their sins. They will find forgiveness and they will find mercy. They will find grace rather than judgment and disaster. Verse 4. So then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. Jeremiah calls on his buddy Baruch to transcribe as he dictates. It, no doubt, was a daunting task. Twenty-three years of sermons and messages, prophecy, Probably months of long sessions of dictation and reviews and editings. Now, back to chapter 45. As this passage unfolds here in chapter 45, this task of writing Jeremiah's prophecies is likely complete or it is nearing completion. That this project is drawing to a close. It's still the fourth year, as we saw back in 30, chapter 36, and here again, it's the fourth year of King Jehoiakim. But it's been most likely almost a year-long process. And I imagine that in my mind, as I picture it, it's probably at the end of one of these days, a long day of dictating and a long day of writing and transcribing and going through all of this, and they're probably a little weary and Baruch is probably ready to set down the pen. And Jeremiah says, wait a minute, one more, one more message. And so he picks up the pen and he readies the paper and he begins to write. Verse 2, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. Now, the shock of those words probably took a few moments to settle in. 
Over the last months, Baruch has been recording God's words to the people of Judah. God's words to King Josiah and King Jehoiakim. God's word to other nations. But now, God speaks a personal word to the secretary. I find in this little passage just a wonderful reality. A marvelous, precious nugget of truth tucked away just in this. That is that God notices the background workers. God notices the background folks. We have such a tendency, brothers and sisters, to ignore the, the folks who do the behind-the-scenes you know, work, especially the menial things. Those who you know, scrub the floors, clean the toilets, those who wash the dishes, those who serve in the nursery. How we have a tendency to just not even notice who, do, who does these things and not to appreciate what they do. And we tend to, as people, focus our attention on the people up front. You know, we focus on the leaders. We focus on the personalities. We focus on, on uh, the celebrities. We focus on all those up front things and up front people. And we rarely notice the people in the background, if at all. Brothers and sisters, don't miss that God notices. And He knows. He knows these in the background and what they do. He notices when their service is faithful or when it is not. He notices their heart attitudes. He notices their labors. And while... The majority of us do not give credit and praise and thanksgiving to those who serve in the background, sadly, which, by the way, is most of us and most of you serve quietly in the background. Please know that God notices. Matthew chapter 10, I think it's verse 45, it says that not even a cold, Jesus says, not even a cup of cold water given his, in His name, goes unrewarded, unnoticed. Isn't that marvelous? Baruch has been Jeremiah's faithful companion, his faithful behind-the-scenes assistant. The ministry of Jeremiah, I think, probably has been very dependent, as for most of us who serve in the upfront, most of us who work in the public view, our work is impossible without dozens and dozens who work in the background, who serve faithfully. And I think I'm sure that's the case here with this man. He's been a faithful behind-the-scenes guy. Nobody else really notices his name. You may have read the Bible for 50 years and never paid attention to his name. Baruch. But God noticed him. He's been faithful, but he's discouraged. Deeply discouraged and depressed. Verse 3. 
You said, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain, and I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Baruch is feeling sorry for himself. He's having a little pity party. He's wallowing in self-pity. Woe is me. Any of you ever been there? (laughs) He is grieving. He says, the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. He's living in pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, mental anguish. And he says, God, you've added sorrow to it. He's grieving. He's emotionally distraught. He says, I am weary with my groaning. I like the way the King James translates it. It says, I fainted in my sighing. The New International says, I'm worn out with groaning. In other words, in his, in his anguish, he's just, Have you been there? He's done so much groaning and so much sighing. He is physically exhausted, physically spent. He can't even groan anymore. Some of you can identify with this man. And he says, there's no relief. I find no rest. His situation preoccupies him all day long. And it preoccupies him all night long when he'd like to sleep, but he can't sleep because he tosses and turns and, and he's just so, so wound up, so frustrated, so hurting, so sorrowful, so grieving. We can't put enough words to it. And some of you understand you've been there. Some of you may be there today. Why is he depressed and discouraged? What's causing his pain and sorrow? Well, the text really doesn't say. And I think there's value in that. Because as we identify with him, there's value in just understanding that, man, this guy's got it bad. And we can identify with him. But if you have to know what it is, I think maybe we can pick up some clues from the text. Understand that I mentioned earlier that just the year before this, Babylon had invaded and taken over their country. How would you feel if another country invaded and took us over last year? Russia, China, North Korea, pick your country. They came in, they invaded, they defeated us, they took over. Is life different? Is life messed up? Are you depressed? Probably. No doubt they have lost their sovereignty. They are no longer a sovereign country. Their king is under the thumb of Babylon. They've lost personal freedoms. They've lost national freedoms. When Babylon defeated them, doubtless when they were conquered by them, that there was great loss of life, great bloodshed, brutality, abuse of people, confiscated wealth. And many, as we noted, were taken captive back to Babylon. Perhaps more than just national problems, national disgrace, national loss, it's very personal perhaps. Maybe some of Baruch's family was killed. 
Maybe some of his family was tortured or abused. Maybe some of his family was taken captive to Babylon. Maybe some of his property was taken. Maybe his home was destroyed. Maybe he was left penniless. Maybe it was this is very personal loss. Maybe it's not even really Babylon. Maybe it, it goes back because for many years Baruch has been siding with Jeremiah, working and serving the prophet of God. And in the process, committing himself to God and aligning himself with God, but that has put them at odds with the religious establishment and with the political establishments which were in rebellion against God and against Jeremiah. And they have endured slander. They have endured abuse. They have endured persecution, not just from the Babylonians, but from the Israelites. Jeremiah at this point has been blackballed by the government, has been banished from the temple. Maybe Baruch has been as, as well, suffered that kind of abuse. It's hard to stand against the flow. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe after this, these months of transcribing Jeremiah's messages, of being reminded of everything that God has said to the kings, to the people, he's realizing that the people still haven't repented. After all of this, and now after the Babylonians coming in and taking us over, they still haven't repented. And they're still rebelling against God. And they still aren't going to submit to the Babylonians. There's going to be more rebellion. And it's going to get worse. Things are bad, as he says. I have pain in my life, suffering in my life. But God, you've added sorrow to it. Because the reality is there's more coming. I think he's gotten to the realization Judah will not repent. And so my guess is that like Jeremiah who weeps for the people, time and time again we read through Jeremiah's writings here in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah weeps and cries for the suffering his people are enduring and will endure. And I imagine that Baruch begins to to think of his friends, his neighbors, his family, his acquaintances, his countrymen, and he realizes what is in store for them because they won't listen to God. They won't repent. And he says, God, you've added sorrow to my pain. Whatever Baruch's problem is that has brought him to sorrow, to depression, to discouragement, notice, here that God knows it all. God knows Baruch's pain. Brothers and sisters, we can have confidence as well that God knows what you're going through. You're one of His children. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and He knows everything you are going through. Even as David had written centuries before in Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, my tossing and turning in the night, my sleepless nights. And you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you know that? God has a record of every single discouragement, heartbreak, tear, fear, frustration, problem, Every bit, God knows it all, everything you've gone through. Well, 
That's where Baruch is. What is there here for us to learn? Five key lessons I want to draw our attention to for how to deal, for learning to deal with discouragement through this message to Baruch. The first is this. We need to pray about it. Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Is life just, are you having a terrible, horrible, awful, no good, very bad day? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Notice in verse 3 what God said to Baruch. He said this. He says, you said. Now, just maybe, Baruch has vocalized, he's verbalized all his complaints. And just maybe he's verbalized and voiced all these complaints to the walls. Oh, life is horrible! I hate it! Maybe he could just complain to his friends. You won't believe what life is like for me. Just maybe that's the case, but I surmise something different. Now, I may be reading too much in the text, but I have a feeling that when he's verbalizing these problems, you say, woe is me. You said you have added sorrow to my pain. Sounds to me like he's talking to God. I'm thinking that just like David and the Psalms have lead an example after example, when you go back and read through the Psalms, it's hard to read more than a couple of Psalms without stumbling on one that reads like, How long, O Lord? Why won't you listen to me? Why won't you hear my prayer? Right? Isn't that the prayer of many of the cry of many of the Psalms? And I think that Baruch probably following the example of Scripture because he seems to be a godly man. And he likewise turns to God and says, Whoa, woe is me. If he wasn't doing it, he should have been. The Bible encourages us in a number of places to take our anxieties, to take our fears, to take our hurts, to take our needs to God. I'll just give you one from James chapter 1. It's a verse that's often ripped out of context. But the context is dealing with trials and troubles where he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Then he goes and says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you don't know how to handle your trials with joy, if you don't know how to deal with your suffering and your difficulties, what are you to do with it? If you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. What that means is God doesn't blame you when you go to Him. Why? How? God has patience without, without reproach. He listens. He's a loving Father. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I think perhaps, very likely, this message from God is an answer to Baruch's prayer. He's been pouring his heart out to God and now just this one day at work, another long day at work and God intervenes. Hey, Baruch, I've heard you. I'm listening. Second thing I find in verse 4, Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I am breaking down. And what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. Second truth, 
Second key to dealing with discouragement is remember that God is in control. It may look and it may seem like everything is out of control. God's people have been defeated by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar is, is in charge. Our king isn't. And our king, the king who's still on the throne, is a wicked, evil man who shouldn't be king of your people anyway. <sighs> because he's such an evil man. The leaders and the people and the king still haven't repented. Things are a mess, God. Everything seems out of control. Do you ever look at the world around us and think everything's out of control? The world has gone mad. Insane. I can't believe the stuff I see every day on TV and read and on the Internet. I go, what in the world are people thinking? Brothers and sisters, God's still in control. He's working a plan. We may not understand the plan. We may not like the plan. But God says here, I have I am breaking down what I have built. I am plucking up what I have planted. Notice who's doing the stuff here. God. He's in control. Something we can relax and rest in today. God's in control even if you're having a no good, horrible, terrible, whatever it is, awful, very bad day. Thirdly, third key to dealing with discouragement is look past you. See, Baruch has said, Woe is me. Woe is me. My world is turned upside down. My, I'm suffering. Life isn't going like it should, in my view. If you notice, if you ever take a look at your discouragement, if you ever take a look at your depression, you'll discover that it's usually me-focused usually focused on yourself. God here, as He speaks to Baruch, He looks to redirect the attention. Baruch, you've said this. But, God in those words revealed His own anguish there in verse 4. Behold, what I have built, I am tearing down. What I have planted, I am uprooting. Baruch, you think this hurts you? Baruch, you think this is costly to you? Have you ever thought about how I feel? Have you ever thought about what this is costing me? You see, who has more at stake here? God does. The Creator the one who created this world, the one who chose Abraham and, and chose a people and grew a people and brought them out of Egypt and sought all the way along to nurture a people of God who have continually been rebellious and difficult. And God says, ah. Brooke, you think you've got it bad. See, depression and discouragement are almost always me-focused. And so part of the remedy is to focus on that which is bigger than us. To look past us. To look at the needs and to look at the hurts and the, and the concerns and the feelings of others. And here God has focused the attention, got Baruch's attention on Himself. On God, that is. Look at God. 
Look at what this cost Him. So it is that God wants us all to do, which is why we need to be in the Word of God to get God's perspectives on things. To see things from an eternal perspective instead of this very little instant. To see things from the perspective of God's plan rather than just our little, narrow little thing here. Perspective is usually a major factor in discouragement. You know, the difference between a quarter, and I don't even have one in my pocket, the difference between a quarter and the sun, between their size, is a few million miles. Okay? The difference in size between them. But with a quarter, you can block out the sun completely if you get it close to your face. Perspective makes all the difference. So it is with our discouragements. If we focus in on us, we get lost in self-pity and in, and in depression. But when we focus on God, things change. Our viewpoint changes. So not only do we need to look past us, we need to then seek God's purpose, not our own. Verse 5, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. See, Baruch has apparently been hoping to see some great results from Jeremiah's preaching and teaching and hoping to see that there would be a great revival of the land and to see people turn back to God. And that would be a great thing to see. But along with hoping to see that, Baruch has also been hoping to see that maybe then just finally, when everything turns around to this country and people turn back to God, then just maybe we'll finally get a little respect, a little recognition, a little honor, maybe a little prosperity. Maybe he's not looking to get rich. Maybe he's just saying, you know, maybe just get a comfortable life for a change. You know, get a little... House in the burbs and, you know, a wife and two and a half kids and a dog and a couple of camels. We all say, man, we understand why anybody would want that. But God says, are you seeking great things for yourself? Are you seeking what you can get out of this, Baruch? Because if you are, forget about it. Don't seek them. Because for your information, Baruch, My plans don't include that for you or for anybody in this land. What's coming is devastation. God's plans may not always line up with what we want. You know, I've known of, I've heard a lot of people over the years say, we need to save America. We need to save our country. And we do need to bring people to know Jesus Christ. That is our mission. But our mission is bring people to be followers of Jesus Christ, not to save a nation. We are to save the people in our nation, which may save our nation. But that is not what we are called to do as believers, is to save our nation. God's plan for our nation may be to destroy it. Because the one kingdom that God is in the business of building is the kingdom of God, 
Not the kingdom of the United States or the kingdom of any other king or nation or land. When Jesus taught us to pray, He taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, not God save America. Do I want America to be blessed by God? Yes. Have we been? Yes. But that's not our mission. And that's not the prayer that God calls for us to pray. Your kingdom come. And if for Jesus' kingdom to come, for the kingdom of God to come, if it means the destruction of your kingdom, are you up for that? That's where Baruch is at this moment. And God is calling him to say, Baruch, let your kingdom go and embrace mine. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Two aims there. Two things to seek first, if that's possible. God's righteousness. Being right with God. Doing right with God. Secondly, seek His kingdom, not ours. That's, our, that's what we're to be seeking after. Fifth, and the last of these keys, is trust God's promises. How do we deal with discouragement? Pray about it. Remember God is in control. Look past you. Seek God's purpose, not our own. And then trust His promises. Trust His care. God doesn't promise to turn around Baruch's life. He doesn't promise to turn around his circumstances. He doesn't promise to give him the nice little house in the burbs with all those things. But God does give him a promise. Look at verse 5 as it continues. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. But who can understand this? Judgment will come. There's going to be wars. You're going to be affected because you're going to be going places probably that you didn't want to go because probably you're going to be on the run because your city, your house, your home, your people are being destroyed. It's going to affect you. But despite the devastation around you, here's a promise to you, Baruch, because you've been faithful, you will not be killed. I will give you your life as a prize of war. One thing you can count on, you're not going to be killed by the religious leaders of Judah or by the wicked king of Judah. You're not going to be killed by the invading Babylonian armies. You're not going to be killed by, by any of, of God's enemies out there. I will give you protection wherever you go. Baruch, you're going to die of old age. Now, God has not given to you or me a promise that we won't be killed. He hasn't given our missionary partners in risky places promises that they will not be killed. He has not promised to exempt us from no good, horrible, terrible, awful, very bad days. He has not promised to that we will escape sickness or escape suffering. But... If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, if we've trusted Him as our Savior, we are a child of God, and God has made promises to us, many of them in the pages of this book, that we can find. And I encourage you to read it and claim the promises 
and trust that God will care for you. There are promises like this. Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with us. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. God promises He will supply our needs, not our desires or our wants, but our needs. Philippians chapter 4, my God will supply your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He has promised that He is always working for our good. Even in the midst of no good, terrible, horrible, awful, very bad days. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that all things, that God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We could go on with more promises. Brothers and sisters, none of us are exempt from the things that lead us and tempt us and, and you know, to depression and to discouragement but there is a way through pray about it remember God is in control look past you seek his purpose not ours trust his promises let's pray father thank you for this we needed this some folks here today are in the midst of great difficulty they're in the midst of suffering they are discouraged Those who aren't in the midst of it have been there not long ago or they are headed there in the days ahead. How we need these words of encouragement. Thank you for giving them to Baruch. I'm sure he didn't understand why he was going through so much. But there were many reasons and one of those was so we could have these words of encouragement. So Father, encourage our hearts and help us to be faithful Even as Baruch, because he was encouraged here, he later on, we find him standing boldly as a man of God in a tough situation as a witness for you. May we be those bold, faithful witnesses as well. In Jesus' name, amen.